This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. Welcome to episode 153 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And on this podcast, we interview writers, directors, agents, managers, casting directors, filmmakers, personal finance and fitness gurus, and we package it up into this little podcast here and throw it up on the internet for your listening pleasure. (laughs) We are two guys that started the podcast because we were looking for the answers, looking for the common themes, the common threads. So that's not to say that we are all-knowing, godlike creatures that have the answers to everything. Uh, so if you hear something on the show that you're like, you know what, guys, I don't think I agree with that, or something along those lines, or maybe you think you do agree with it and you just wanted to kind of kick a little validation our way, find find out the, all the million different ways to get in touch with us and do that starting at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on this episode, we've got part two of Trevor's awesomely motivating, inspirational, kick-you-in-the-butt chat with filmmaker Josh Caldwell. So stick around for that. Hey everybody, we're back with AJ. I'm back, back live in the digital flesh. That sounds um, naughty. That sounds very naughty. <laughs> how are you, man? Flesh. How are you? Uh, I, I purposely did not ask how you were before we started recording because I wanted to hear how you're doing while we were recording. Oh, so smart, how are you? intelligent. I am well, my friend. Um, uh, I will say this: speak for yourself on the not being a godlike creature <laughs> earlier. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know where just, this stuff comes from. I just—I I almost just, said my mouth moves, and I just kind of watch, watch it, <laughs> watch it go by. Yeah. Hey, look, there's Trevor's mouth. <laughs> um, I almost interrupted you with like a speak for yourself. <laughs> um, but uh, we we're we're short, sort of short on time, so I wanted to keep this train moving. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, things are things are good. I am just in this sort of oh, my show's closing soon mode, mm, which mm. is to say, you know, trying to figure out exactly what's next for me professionally, personally, um, um, and location wise, that kind of thing. Yeah. Everybody's been asking, obviously, if I'll be returning to Los Angeles or if I'm staying out here. And right now, I, I've I've sort of summarized it because I've been asked the question so many times and so I think it's good a good sort of nugget for the podcast my plan right now is to stay here for about two to three months in an effort to book work film television theater doesn't matter just see what I can do in terms of building new relationships and booking work because most of my professional relationships obviously are in LA 
um, people don't yet know who I am here. And, you know, there's all kinds of people will say all kinds of numbers like it takes a year, it takes 10 years, it takes, you know, whatever to to have people in a market learn who you are, especially a major market. Yeah. And so all of all of my contacts, people who know who I am are in are in L.A. So it's it's um, it's going to take some effort and some doing to to, to build relationships here in in this market. Right. So capitalizing on, you know, Heather's and and my relationships there and people I've met, et cetera, et cetera. People have come to see the show. Yeah. So um, my my goal is for those two to three months to build those relationships. And if I don't book something uh, in those two to three months, um, return to L.A. Screw and the, it. And the reason, LA. <laughs> well, the this reason for that. <laughs> nah, it's not, it's less about that and more about more about this, which is to say, I, I know I can live and thrive in Los Angeles being unemployed, being an unemployed actor. I don't think I could be an unemployed actor in New York. Mm, why not? Uh, for those specific reasons and more. Uh, mm-hmm. For the reasons I mentioned earlier, which is the fact that I just don't have the relationships that I have here, um, both professional and personal. So I don't have, you know, relationships with casting directors and and producers and directors and stuff here. And also, all of my family and friends and everything are are, are mostly concentrated in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have. I have a multi-layered support system there. Right. I have, and on top of that, like I have my small business there. I know I can, I know, I know I can make money and I know how, I know what my thrival jobs are. Uh, whereas here I would be starting from scratch everywhere. Right. I'd be starting from scratch professionally. I'd be starting from scratch thrival job wise. I'd be starting from scratch relationship wise, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that's now, my that's my sort of feelings. So on th- it. this this kind of ties in with uh, a question that we're going to respond to in a little bit uh, on this episode. But how do you plan on like what tactics are you going to be using to build those relationships up over the next few months in New York? I've got a couple of ideas. One of them is just being super frank with the people that I've worked with. In other words, the people from Heather's. Super frank. Uh, Super frank. Super frank. (laughs) All right. Sorry. The mouth thing again. (laughs) There goes Trevor's mouth. Yep. (laughs) Super frank is the hero of San Francisco. He is. SF. Um, Oh, God. Super frank. Hey, listeners, uh, get on that artwork right away. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) Uh, yes, just being super frank with the people I- involved with Heather's. Uh, in other words, I'm planning on composing an email that just says like, hey, you know, planning on sticking it out here for a while, but I don't know anyone but you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, if there's anyone that you can think to introduce me to, whether it's an agent or a casting director or a producer, director, whoever, I would love to meet them. Um, because I, you know, I, I was having a conversation with our musical director, who's been at this game for years and years and years. He's actually the music supervisor for Wicked North America, meaning that wow. a production does, of Wicked does not occur in the United States without him having worked on it. Right. 
she's kind of a big deal in the Napoleon Dynamite sense of the... So, but I was talking to him about this very point, and he was like, well, I have, you know, so-and-so, I'd love to introduce you, and that's when the light bulb went off. I'm like, I really need to take advantage of the the relationships I've already created. Mm. Um, and then the other thing I'm going to do, and um, I'll have to just not tell Billy Demota is I'm going <laughs> to um, as many casting director workshops as I can get my hands on. Right. Um, that makes sense budget wise and and personnel wise in other words who's going to be there Mm -hmm. so those first few weeks after we close i'm just gonna you know really hit the books just just try to get into as many of those as, as possible you know i've got a story to tell i'm like i moved out here to do heathers Uh, we closed give me a job like and it's you know it's going to be sort of this like fun i'm sourcing that it's going to be a a, a fun banter Mm -hmm. with whoever this person is right right now that that may have been the first time we've used that phrasing on the podcast sourcing do you i mean i know what it means but do you want to explain to our listeners real fast what that might what that means in case they haven't heard it before wow that you just like kind of blew my mind a little bit because i wasn't thinking about the fact that we may have never I mean, maybe we have said it before, but it's just kind of... I don't know if we've ever explained what it's, that... Well, it's a, it's a glossary term. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it it basically means, you know, it's like when we talk about notes from the universe and that kind of thing, it's I'm responsible for everything that I create in my life. So if I stand as source of something, it means that I'm standing that it's going to come to fruition because I say so. Mm. So if I'm sourcing that I'm going to book a feature film in the next two months I'm, I'm, I'm standing as the sole source that that is going to come to fruition and therefore going to do whatever it takes between now and that point to make that happen. Yeah. yeah. I think there's also a little bit of a law of attraction kind of element to that, that kind of idea of sourcing something. It's kind of like my intention is to make this happen and I'm going to work at it but I'm also going to trust that my intention is going to kind of, I don't know, align the stars in a, in, in a little bit to, to kind of support me in, in creating that. Yeah, I think that that comes as, I mean, you just said it, but um, I think that that comes as a direct result of setting the, the intention it, itself. Because the idea is that you're telling the universe you're ready for it to come into your life. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And my experience has been that the universe is always kind of, always kind of just poised right there, ready to drop it into your life as soon as you're ready. Mm-hmm. And and you know, like one of my favorite songs, lyric wise, is um, that Alanis Morissette song. I'm drawing a blank on the actual title of it, but um, I guess it's called "Thank You." And lyrically, she talks a lot about like the moment that she like go of it, or the moment that she asked for it, or the moment she was ready for it. And every time I hear that song, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I kind of I feel you, Atlantis, I feel you. Yeah, and then, the notes from the universe often say things along the lines of, "Say thank you before you've received it." Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. Be do have, baby. Be yeah, do have. And and one thing that I wanted to just kind of touch on before we move on is I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a show that came to the Douglas a few years back when we were both working there together, and there was like one of the actors or actresses that you kind of befriended and spent some time with, and I, I think she was from New York, or maybe mm-hmm. she was from LA. But I remember you telling me that 
that she had thought about moving out here, I think it was, but she said, you know, I've spent 10 years building up my relationships in New York, and if mm-hmm. I were to move out here at, and I think she was like in her mid to late 30s, she was saying, I'd have to start all over, building those mm-hmm. relationships, building that trust, establishing that reputation, and to her, it, it wasn't worth it. Yeah, it, at well, that point in her she, career, in her life, she was strongly considering it. I know the story, and that's actually who I was referring to when I said some people say it takes ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, she was strongly considering it, and it wasn't that uh, it wasn't necessarily that it wasn't worth it. It was just she was sort of bracing herself because mm-hmm. she was still considering um, uh, going out there and, uh, uh, to LA. That is, and. And, and really making a go at it. But ultimately, I think she ended up booking a couple things in New York, and, and which kept her around here. But, but yeah, that's, that was the exact... It's funny that you remember that, because that's, that's what I always remember when, when I think about you know, going to a new major market and, and building your relationships there, is that exact conversation. Yeah, that really sticks out in my memory is, 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 a, is kind of a, something to just be aware of when you go somewhere um just you know it's going to take time to build these relationships and that reputation and that that level of trust where people say hey bring this person in i know they do good work i know they're professional like that takes time to to establish Mm -hmm. um very cool man maybe you can reach out to her too uh yeah we'll see So we have a voicemail. Um, what do you think? Is it something we should uh, we should dig into on this episode? Or um, sure, yeah. It's not. I mean, it's not really a question. It's more like uh, a bit of advice, so to speak, from our patron Keenan Falk, who yeah, is Kenan. responding to. I think her name was Hannah. Yeah, he says her name was 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 Hannah uh, from a few episodes ago. I don't know if you remember. She talked. About, she was asking about being an introvert. Yeah, and yeah. feeling like it was holding her back in auditions, and we responded at length. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's only a couple minutes long, so sure, we can uh, play it and take a listen. Yeah, why not? Hey, guys, it's uh, Keenan calling from Tucson. Um, I am currently listening to your second episode of the Sheila Guthrie interview, and I heard Hannah's question about, uh, about how to uh, overcome your introvert tendencies when you're when you're in a, in an audition. Um, and I can honestly tell you guys that and tell Hannah that the I I am a fairly well adapted self proclaimed introvert. And the way that I got to that point was basically immersion therapy. I uh um I was a very shy guy in high school and coming out of high school, and then I went and I started working at a uh, at a, a quick lube in my hometown, and I would have to go in and I had to talk to people and tell them what was going on with their vehicles and interact with them on a very relaxed, regular basis. And after after a couple of months of doing that, I got I found myself very comfortable with uh, with dealing with people. And I can't help but think that without 
having that experience without immersing myself like that, I never would have been able to even make this phone call here and talk to you guys like I am right now. Wow. That's huge. Thank you, mm-hmm. Keenan. Immersion therapy. I am never going to forget that. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's yeah. great. You know, I've only heard, I think I've only heard that term applied to like learning a new language, like going to yeah. a, another country and uh, immerse, um, uh, immersion, immersing yourself in the, in the culture there to learn the language. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that, that, <coughs> that brings to mind to me, uh, that brings to mind for me, I should say, the idea that if, the, the, the kind of use it or lose it idea. You know, that everything is a muscle. Even our brains are a muscle. And, and I, I've talked about this book before, but The Brain That Changes Itself by a, a guy named Norman Doidge. I think that's how you say his last name. Mm-hmm. Talks all about how the, the brain is, I, it, I guess what I guess the, tar, the term they use is, is plastic, referring to plasticity, which means that it's, 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 it's fluid. It's constantly changing. It's constantly reallocating real estate based on what we expose it to. So if there's a certain piece of our brain or a certain aspect of our life that we're not engaging in, the brain just says, okay, I don't really need that anymore. And it will actually take the part of itself that it was using to kind of, to kind of store that skill set or store that, uh, that, that familiarity. And it just kind of gets rid of it. And it uses that, that, that space up for something else that you're doing hmm. more frequently. Mm-hmm. So the more that you practice one thing, the easier it's going to get. And if you're practicing shyness and introversion and, um, you know, shying away from things and playing it safe and being an introvert, you're going to get really good at doing that (laughs) and really bad at interacting with people. Um, So I love the immersion therapy thing. And he said two to three months. And I think that's about the the time frame that most of us can expect to really start to feel uh, fluid or or mastery over something uh, when it comes to, you know, habits or when it comes to to um learning a new skill i think um i think that was awesome thank you keenan for for chiming in with that yeah i i love that he i love the sort of self-starter aspect of this voicemail like he knew what the issue was and he decided to just dive in head first and went and got so hannah go get a job in customer service. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I can both speak from experience on that one. I mean, retail and customer service and customer engagement. I mean, that stuff is, is, uh, it can be brutal, but it can also be the best thing ever because you develop a real dynamic skill set for how to field lots of different personalities and also how to develop the kind of compassion muscle for people. Like, cause you meet some people that are, just kind of like it's just evident that they don't get out much they don't have a lot of people in their lives that listen to them and the you know as we say in the mitt world the issue is never the issue Mm. and so the more you interact with these people the more you realize like this isn't about your ipod or this isn't about the parking situation is it like this is actually about a deep unhappiness that you have in your life (laughs) Uh, but i'm not saying you you're there in front of them or be their therapist but but it develops a you develop an awareness for how the the human condition kind of manifests yeah. itself from day to day and i think as an artist that's that's pretty essential experience <laughs> you yeah. ever have those moments on stage trev where say another like say an actor is on like the complete opposite side of the stage from you and let's say they drop a prop or something like that and they're about to have an exit and they leave the prop there <laughs> 
yeah. and you have that moment where you're like how can i in my blocking get to that prop and pick it up in a way that seems natural and get it out of the way for the next scene which that prop isn't going to make any sense to be in mm-hmm. i'm I, that that level of sort of multitasking and stage awareness i guarantee you has been heightened in our brains based on the our years working in apple uh retail mm. because there were so many times where uh especially when i was uh you know and we were both we both got to like the supervisor level at, at apple there were so many times where i would be talking to a customer having a full-on conversation supporting them with something listening to other people talk in my earpiece because we were all wearing walkie-talkies whilst also being aware that there was somebody yelling at a genius at the genius bar (laughs) and then i'm probably going to have to hand off the customer that i'm with in order to go deal with that situation you know hand off the customer hand off the customer respond to somebody in the walkie on my way to the genius bar to go deal with that i mean it happened on a daily basis and that sort of level of multitasking i mean in addition to let alone the what we're already talking about which is sort of breaking out of your shell um Mm -hmm. and learning to interact with people the, the skills that i got from that job are are countless yeah countless because there's all these language things too this this essentially nlp neuro linguistic programming that that we learned um in 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 um interacting with with humans <laughs> period <laughs> that that i don't know it it it's, it it comes up all the time in yeah. in my life so yeah absolutely i still employ a lot of that training that we learned a lot of that kind of nlp sort of like um conflict resolution stuff mm-hmm. i use that in like mm-hmm. my personal life like oh yeah people are upset about something roommates or friends or whatever and i'm totally like okay three a's three p's here we go <laughs> and it works it works like a charm and i'm not i'm not like trying to be fake it just it's just it just it simplifies things mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's really that's really funny the uh the prop left on stage thing I never thought oh, of yeah. it that way, but absolutely, um, <laughs> they they definitely go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, thank you, Keenan, for a great uh, a great kind of piece of input there. Mm-hmm. So we also have a question from Lauren, and this harkens back to a few minutes ago in the episode. Uh, Lauren is uh, the co-host of the Active Storytelling podcast that we've talked about on this show sort of recently. It's she's Lauren's uh, in Australia, and her and her friend, I believe his name is Nick, um, have this podcast that is is kind of like the Australian version of Inside Acting, and it's really, really well done. I've listened to all their episodes, and if you guys um, would like to hear another take from another market on on this thing that we do called uh, called acting and artistry and being a creative type, uh, I highly recommend listening to it. Act The Act of Storytelling is really well produced, and um, Lauren and, uh, again, I hope his name is Nick, I think it's Nick, uh, are really, really fantastic. So Lauren writes in, and she says that um, she's going to be in L.A. and New York fairly shortly. And she uh, she only has a week in each city, so she doesn't have a ton of time. Um, but she does want to just kind of start to meet people and establish herself, sort of. So she says um, she'd like to have a, a general notion of meeting with managers, etc., um, she thinks she might be a bit optimistic, thinking that she can establish relationships in just a week. But... Um, 
basically her question is, do, do we think it's useful for her to try to set meetings up in such a short time frame? Uh, and if so, do we have any advice on, on how to go about that? So we sort of talked about this, but not really. Um, yeah. And I, I when I got, saw this email, I responded to her and I just said, you know, for me, what I did, because I did sort of the same thing before I actually moved to L.A., uh, my dad and my, my stepmom were extremely supportive and they actually flew me out here with my dad and we stayed out here for like five days. And I just basically, we just drove around the city and had dinner and met with people that I had connected with. So what I did was what you're basically going to do, AJ. I, I just, I contacted all my friends and I said, hey, I'm going to go out to LA and thinking of moving out here. Who knows somebody that I can get in touch with? Mm. And I had some really random connections, really random, like a friend who went to school with a friend of a friend, and I ended up contacting this guy, and he was like, who, who do you know me through? And I'm like, oh, my, this friend here. And, and he said, oh, I, I think I kind of remember that person. Anyway, yeah, come on over. So <laughs> there was um, a, lot of, a lot that I learned from connections, random connections like that, and it was all just by asking people who knew somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, and who was willing to kind of refer me to somebody. So there was that. And then, um, and then when I, the actual going about it part, uh, I just was totally, as you said, AJ, totally transparent. Just was like, this is my story. This is what I'm, I'm here. Like I'm just getting started. I would appreciate anything you can offer me. And I got a lot of golden nuggets of advice on that. I think saved me. Um, frankly, I think saved me from moving out here and then moving back to Philadelphia after just a few months because they told me what to expect. They told me things to avoid. And um, I think asking for that kind of stuff was, was really what made it extremely valuable for me. So that would be my, uh, my, my nugget to pass on to, to Lauren and anybody else in the same situation. How about you, dude? Anything to add on top of what you've already yeah, shared? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, I, I, first of all, I just wanted to suggest Lauren that you have an intention in mind because it seems kind of vague and floaty right now like saying um, you know uh, I can't really stay I, I don't have a visa I can't really work so I'm not really sure what I'm going to do it's like what what is the what is the goal ultimately because that might actually change who you want to meet with because meeting with a manager you're are you seeking representation here in the states and if so are you going to do something about the whole like not having a work visa thing you know um or is it just more about meeting with collaborators because then you might want to just meet with filmmakers and that might be a whole other avenue so so really sort of figuring out what your intention is and then the other thing i would say especially since you're coming from australia i i can't remember if she talked about it in the interview or if we just talked about it in person, but Sheila Guthrie and I had a whole conversation about the fact that she, her, one of her jobs when she was working for CBS was to scout talent from Australia. So she oh. actually used to send uh, casting assistants, casting associates to Australia to meet actors, see shows see films etc cetera, etc cetera, um and scout talent uh down under so that being said there may be uh, a way of figuring out through some say 
uh, I would say if, the, if there's a, a community in Australia that you're a part of or one that you can become a part of, that's, um, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a community in Australia that's not only for acting, A, but B, for uh, Australian actors who want to work in the States. I know it mm-hmm. might sound niche, but there's got to be a ton of people that have groups like that out there. Mm-hmm. And not only will getting in touch with a group like that allow you to do everything that Trevor said, but it will also allow you to see if there are people like Sheila and her associates back in the day <laughs> when she was working for CBS who are specifically looking for you. Mm. In which case you get out here and it's like, you know, oh, you just saved me a trip to Australia. Thanks for solving my problem. Yes, absolutely. Let's go grab coffee. Wow. Um, so that would be my what I would add on to to what you already said, Trev, which was perfect and brilliant. Damn. Okay. That is a that is that is quite possibly one of the most comprehensive responses I think we've given on the show to date. <laughs> that was awesome. Before we screw it up. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you were kind of baking my noodle there for a minute there. That was that was Aww. pretty sweet. And you know the the intention thing I think is so important. Like, are you out here to meet casting directors, or are you out here to meet people who can help you make your film uh, or your web series or whatever it is? Like, what what is it specifically that you want to? create in your career in the united states i think that's that's a that's a big one Mm -hmm. otherwise you're just using the shotgun approach and throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks and yeah so yeah good stuff so lauren i hope that helps um thank you so much for the question uh looking forward to meeting you when you're out here and out in new york city as well and keep up the great work with the podcast it's really really fantastic yeah all right um let's roll into part two with filmmaker josh caldwell yeah yeah buddy anything else all right sweet so yeah here's part two with josh more of the goodness that you heard from uh from part one so we'll catch you guys on the other side That where this really becomes relevant for uh, an actor listening is it, it's just not to let the equipment stop you. Yeah, I mean we shot we shot layover pretty much with a out of the box 5D that had uh, the Magic Lantern software installed on it, which like just installed allowed, on the camera. Yeah, you, it's this really cool software that you install through the cards that allows you to have like 235 mat uh, focus points on the screen. Um, you can now with the cam, cam, uh, with the 5D Mark III, you can shoot RAW with it, 1080p RAW. Um, it's a really cool hack. I mean, wow. it, it voids your warranty on your camera, so <laughs> right. really know if you're going to do it. Um, and and a 24 to 105 image stabilized lens. We had a couple other lenses like that we that were faster that we used for like some of the club scenes and stuff like that. But that was it. And then as far as the 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 uh, sound, we recorded everything onto an H4n Zoom recorder using a Sennheiser, you know, lab mic. Mostly everything was done on labs. And then we had a, a boom to get backup. But I tend to not like the sound that comes out of a boom. I think that you get much cleaner dialogue out of labs. Mm-hmm. And so and we didn't need any of the other stuff because we'd fill it in later. And so um, and that was it. And that's like, you know, 
I mean, if you're going to rent it or borrow it, that's like not a very expensive package. You right. know? And yeah. um, in fact, on our during our sound mix, our sound mixer asked us what we recorded all our audio on, and we said an H4 and Zoom. And he's like, this sounds better than the real expensive production stuff that I get. God, I love it. And that's it. And that, and I mean, it's probably, you know, if you were to buy the 5D, you're talking about like a couple, you know, four or five grand. So, um, you know, you're probably talking about like a $5,000 package, you know, and that's if you're buying it. And I don't think you need to. I think you can rent the cameras. You can, so many people have the cameras now. Yeah, yeah totally. And, yeah. And, a friend a couple hundred bucks to borrow for the weekend. Exactly. You do not, yeah. you no longer need what you used to need in yeah. order to create a really quality project. And so, um, yeah, like the equipment's, the equipment's like secondary, you know, and I just, I yeah. found that like, I don't think anybody that has seen layover would guess that it was shot on a DSLR. It looks fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, it looks really, really great. And that's, that's a huge thing, you know? And so, it, and, and, and why? And the reason is, is because they're not focused on it. They don't really, audiences don't care. You know, they don't care if it was shot on like, you know, the, the Alexa or whatever. They want a good story and they want good characters. And if it was shot on a handy cam, they don't really care. I mean, we've seen success with those types of movies, yeah. you know, especially back before DSLRs and all that stuff and uh-huh. digital. Audiences most of the time have no idea what they're watching. Yeah. And they don't, because they don't care. And I think like as filmmakers, we care because we talk about resolution. We talk about all that stuff. But I mean, we had layover. We created um, a DCP from it um, to screen at festivals. Digital, it's a DCP, digital, uh, digital cinema package. So it's how okay. you project digitally in, in pretty much every oh, okay. theater now. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, it's the To meet all the requirements, print. right. Yeah, yeah, it's the film print now. And we had, we had one of those made and we actually bumped. So our master was 1080. We bumped it up to 2K. And I saw it at Dances with Films at the um, Chinese Six Theaters on like a 50-foot screen. And I mean, other than being a s- slightly soft, simply because it's it's a lot of throw, right? Um, it looked great. It looked really, really good, you know? And How so, cool is that? Yeah. How so, cool, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where it did what it needed to do, yeah. you know? And yeah. you don't really need a whole lot more than that. I love it, man. If I had a nickel for every time an actor told me about some project they were working on and they were really excited because they're shooting on the red. And I'm like, I, I don't care what camera you shoot on. Exactly. Um, and I don't think, yeah, like you said, like people watching it in their in their homes or on their computers, they're not going to go like, you didn't shoot this on a red? Right. And they don't start making judgments about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, too, the other thing that's tricky is that I was only able to do layover the way we did it because I had you know, 14 years of sort of DIY filmmaking Mm -hmm. experience. I had, I had a lot of in my background of, of shooting stuff for no money and trying to figure out how to make something still look really good on an XL two, you know, or, right. Jeez. I used to shoot on an XL two for this gig I had with, uh, with the company or a GL one, you know, and uh, which is what I was shooting stuff on in high school. That's important. I mean, I don't know if I would have been able to do layover, sort of have a full understanding of how I did layover if I hadn't done these things um, for uh, we did it when I was working for Anthony Zyker created CSI we did a, a digital film called um, Cybergeddon and it was this big cool Yahoo um, released film that released online as part of the film we had these things called uh, zips that Anthony came up with which are these sort of uh, character extensions you know they kind of because it was digital we were able to go in and tell these side stories about how these characters came to be where they are just little branches of the tree and those were like a secondary thought Anthony came up with in the middle of production and I shot all of them you know on a 5D because that's what we had 
without a whole lot of lighting, very minimal like crew, um, and almost no, pretty much no money. And so, um, you know, I did that and I go, wow, okay, like these things are really like powerful like you can yeah. get a lot done with very very little with these things and still have it feel good and look good and that by then the tinny thing had kind of either gone away from me or had disappeared and then i so then i started going okay well maybe there's something to this you know and maybe there's wow that was that was a really interesting experiment i wonder if we can do that for a feature and where right. does that leave us and so that's kind of where that's kind of where that came out of so it's not to say that if you've never done anything before and you have no experience you could just set up the camera and, and like start, have something good right, it's like yeah. but i think that's the thing is like you get to you get to do what i had to do with like a gl1 which is you get to just experiment you know very mm-hmm. inexpensively yeah just just begin yeah just begin exactly so let's talk about the trilogy because uh, this is really interesting and you said something earlier that i'm blanking on right now of course but it it sounds like it's just as much of an artistic venture as it is a, a business venture. Yes. I mean, so so the trilogy is, from what I understand, is um, it, it, the, the films don't necessarily relate to it's each more other. More of a triptych. Okay, is there what, we go. The actual term, but most people don't know what that is, which I didn't either until we started. Okay. My, my writing partner was like, well, we're really making a triptych. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, well, it's three films that are related but not related. Yeah. They're, they're, not, really, se- they're not sequels. So, so all the characters speak. somehow have a tie to LAX. Yeah. Basically. So, well, basically, yeah. So the trilogy is, it's like kind of a hub trilogy. The idea was, you know, um, when we were talking about Layover, there was this really great quote. Um, I'm, I'm not going to remember the quote itself, but there was this really great quote from the, you know, Tom Bradley, who's then, you know, at one point the mayor of L.A. And he just talked about how LAX was this Los Angeles was this like all these people had come to L.A. sort of like searching for something. And and the idea of all these stories, you know, and all these different people that passed. It could have been as easily done as the JFK trilogy, you know, or, or <laughs> right. whatever. Yeah. Um, the Burbank Bob Hope yeah, trilogy. Exactly. The, yeah. Um, <laughs> Dulles. Um, but yeah. we, you know, and so I was like, well, there's some really cool stories that I know we have other movies we want to make, but I don't want to make a sequel to Layover, and I don't want to do something that's just totally random. So we were like, well, what if we talked about doing a trilogy based around the beginning of each film featuring a character arriving at LAX and then totally branching off from there? And also then how do we maybe treat it like with our actors that is kind of like a repertory theater? So we get our actors to come and play different characters in the next movie and the ones who are like minor characters in Layover end up becoming – the leads in the next one and the ones who are the leads in oh, layover cool. becomes, you know, they have smaller parts. So would they be the same character? No, different, totally different, char- so totally different characters. Same actors. Yeah. That's but all. just saying, well, you, you played in a couple scenes in this, but now we're going to cool. make the lead in, in, in the second one. That's really cool. Um, and kind of treat it like a revolving thing. So there's no necessarily like, Oh, you're the lead in every film. Um, and everybody kind of gets a chance to come in and shine. And at the same time, leave it open to new people coming in or bigger names, you know, that can help sell the film. Um, yeah, in terms of the artistic nature of it. So that's kind of what, and so the second film is a girl with a gun hit woman thriller. Um, love it. Yeah. That's, that's got a little bit more action, but it's kind of also a love story. Um, and then the third film is a relationship drama that is about one man's relationship with these 10 different women over the course of like his twenties, basically. Cool. Um, cool. And so, you know, the artistic nature was to really go in and tell stories that we wanted to tell that could be done for a price and that aren't being told 
with traditional in traditional media and and just make the movies we wanted to make you know and so um you know that's like an assassin even though it's a thriller what it's really about is it's about this relationship that blossoms between these the, our our hit woman a character and this other woman up in while she's hiding out and um so it's it's a lesbian relationship and part of our goal was to tell something that was really honest and truthful and unique but do it in a way where it's not about sexuality in that it's not about characters discovering themselves or trying to figure themselves out or anything like that it's like it just kind of is what it is can we do a story in which the normal version would be it's between a man and a woman and in that that story the characters are never wondering like oh, am i really straight Mm-hmm. You know, or anything like that. And so right. can we just do it right. that with ours and, and do it honestly and real? And so thus far, we've gotten some really great feedback from some people in that community. And, and they really stand behind sort of what we're doing and, and what we're trying to do. And, you know, for me as a filmmaker, I want to go in and make something that's authentic. So I'm reaching out and saying, is this feel right? I don't want to be exploitive. I don't want to be mm. seen as a some dude that wants to make a movie about two girls making out. Girl you know? on girl like, action. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I right, mean, I'm yeah. not that one, not what I'm interested in and two like uh, that's not exciting to me that's really cool that you're kind of just getting feedback from from the community to get the most accurate representation that's going to be as unbiased yeah. i think probably as possible that's yeah really and, cool. I, and yeah just trying to be like hey are you doing this right you know yeah, like because yeah, yeah. um i think it's really about whether you're making films about women making films about L- lgbt or whatever you're talking about like it's you know especially not being somebody that's like a woman or you know an LBG, LGBT, um, or whatever the right. <laughs> thing is, probably should figure it out. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, it's easy to go and say, "Well, you don't speak for us," and and yeah, yeah. and 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 that's not to me. Like, it doesn't matter because I'm just trying to tell stories about really interesting characters, and I want to just, in a way, honor those characters in as truthful a way as possible. And I just think it gets better, and then and then you have people who are an interested audience as opposed to like you know against it and so mm-hmm. and then in the, in the third film um you know we're trying to be really different about the storytelling process which is basically that we're going to tell the arc of one relationship um with uh, our main character who's who's a, a a man who's living through his 20s and we're going to tell the arc of a traditional relationship but each little sort of plot point of that relationship meaning like you know the first meet cute um first time they have sex the first fight uh, the breakup, whatever that's going to be, um, is seen through the experience in relationship with one woman. So the meet cute will only happen with one woman, but you'll understand that it's happened with a all bunch of, of all gotcha. of the women that's gotcha. ever that have come through. And so, in that way, it's ten women, ten again trying to do really strong, interesting female characters in that regard, um, and his sort of search for meaning through these women. And these experiences. And the goal is to try to sort of capture a feeling that I'm interested in exploring, which is, you know, we all have that buddy or um, friend who, um, you know, is a serial dater. And you sort of, as a friend, you invest in that boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, for a period of time. And then they break up and they move on. And you're kind of so you're seeing this mosaic in a way of like of, of people that come into your friend's life and then go away. And also just from a personal experience, like when you're involved in a relationship, that person is like the most important person in the world to you. And then when you break up, they become these kind of fragmented 
memories. You know, they, mm. they become a stranger that you've known in the most intimate of ways and yet is now just a stranger. And so yeah. we're essentially creating these 10 little vignettes that we're going to, you know, put together into the into a whole that hopefully presents this really interesting collage of one man's experience in love over the course of roughly a decade. Huh. Um, and to really not do like, you know, fade in and then fade out. Like right, every right, thing. It's right. really like, you know, for me, I'm like, I want to do like the scene ends, you cut, and the next scene, uh, you know, he's in the kitchen and the girlfriend comes around the corner and she's the other, she's somebody new. Oh, that's you, cool. And you never find out like, oh, <clears throat> what happened to them or what went wrong or why they break up or any of that. It's just that they clearly something has happened. He's moved on and this is who he's with now. That's great. That is so creative. I love it. It's just not a standard narrative. It's just yeah. you're finding unique ways to tell these stories. Yeah. And so, but part of that comes, you know, the business thing you mentioned, part of that comes with just being responsible. You know, um, I've said in some screenings of Layover that it would have been irresponsible of me to make that movie for a million dollars because it just probably would never make that money back. It's not that type of movie. Right. So for the next two, we're certainly going to be increasing the budget. We're going to be doing a series of private funding, crowdfunding, um, you know, and, and really look uh, exploring opportunities, um, you know, to both make the community a part of it, but also, you know, get the, 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 the money we do need to make it, um, which would be the budgets will be definitely higher than layover. But, um, you know, it's about, it's about finding ways to make the next two, uh, to help just give them opportunities to find audiences. So mm, layover, mm. you know, there's no stars. It's in French. It's not really an easy movie to sort of market and sell. And we acknowledge that, but for us, it was in doing. And the fact that we have only spent six grand and our investors already said, don't worry about paying me back. Like we're not really at the mercy. We don't have a bill that's right, hanging over right. our head where we go, we got to sell this. And then we got to acquiesce to whoever we need to sell this movie and, and put in, you know, naked women or put in like whatever it is to help, bolster its chances of selling because that's not what we really want to do and so we're trying to be smart about the money we spent so we're not spending any more than we think we can make back um on these movies and that way it allows us to tell these really interesting different stories but Uh not be subservient to a couple hundred thousand dollars on each film that we're not really sure it'll make it back we hope it does but the fact is if we can make it for as little as we want to make it and it does really well we're just going to make more money right um right. and do even better than we would if we had spent all that because i just don't think we need to what happens when you make a film like that and it doesn't make its money back uh well i mean we haven't even really i don't know i mean i really don't see a scenario where layover doesn't make its money back you know I mean, if mm. we self-distribute i mm. still think that there's opportunities in fact that's a that's a that's an avenue we're considering going where, you know, layover started as an experiment and we're like, maybe we just continue the experiment and see what happens. We're really, what's nice about it is we're really free to do that. We're in a position where we can say no. Mm-hmm. And that's really what layover and the trilogy and all this stuff is really about, which is putting ourselves in a position where we can say no, because yeah. we don't need, yeah, if you go to somebody and you need a million dollars to make a movie, you're going to get a lot of no's yeah. from them. But yeah. if we have people coming into us, we're able to go, well, we want to do it this way. These are sort of – this is how it's set up. This is how the money is made back. This is who it goes to and this is – I have final cut you know, and you – and we have creative control and all this stuff. And then they say no. We go, okay. We'll go somewhere else. <laughs> right. And then they go, wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait. Hang on a second. You right, know? And so right. it's just freedom and, and a lot of people want that freedom. But you know, for us, we recognize that we got to make things for very little money in order mm-hmm. to get that freedom. Yeah. And we're okay with that. Yeah. Do you have a quote unquote French for the third, I'm sorry, the second and third film? 
well, I mean, I think that the second film is sort of the thriller aspect of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's slightly more, it's more of a genre piece. Um, you know, certainly doing something different with the relationship, you know, is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, the challenge for me is can I do something that's about, you know, that's real and works? Like the first one was, can I make a movie in French if I don't speak it? And the third one's really just the, the third one is really because we're, the way in which we're going to shoot it as these 10 shorts over the course of months, roughly, you know, um, we're really looking at, can we go and get some names for the female girlfriends, the girlfriends? Um, because all we're going to be going is asking for is two days of time. The other thing that we're looking to do is shoot, um, portions of it in LA and then shoot portions of it around the country. So like in New York or something like that. And, and that's where a lot of the money would go. But basically that allows us to cut together a trailer that will hopefully have people go like, wait, you made that for how much? Right. And, and, yeah. and create this real epic sense. Yeah. And so that's the thing, which is the third one is probably the most experimental of all of them in terms of the storytelling, but it could potentially be the most commercial mm-hmm. simply because everyone's like, Oh, do you have a name? You know, and like literally you see movies that are not that great that have names in them that suddenly like, you know, they get attention. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of we're trying to be smart also about how we approach. And so certainly like on this, you know, with Assassin, like reaching out to that community, making them a part of it, making them feel like their voices are being heard in terms of the types of stories they want to hear told for them helps build an audience and helps create opportunity in that regard. That's really, really cool. So you, you've said, uh, you said this in your blog and you've said it here today, um, that you're interested in telling the stories of, of kind of strong female lead characters. What's the draw there or what is the sense of, um, for lack of a better term, responsibility? Like, wh- why do you feel that that's, that's the story you want to tell? It's a good question. I think, um, I think without really thinking too much about it, I've just kind of been drawn to that as a creator. You know, I see it, mm-hmm. I see it less in the movies I do, I watch and it just kind of, you know, it, as a, as a director and as a writer, it, it was partly seeing sort of that, um, those types of characters underserved and sort of thinking, mm. well, maybe I can do something. And also just like seeing actresses that I really love and going like, God, like, why are you getting cast as the wife again? Right. Like, right. I want you to star yeah. in something, you know, and, yeah. and be a part of that. But I just think that there's something about, about telling characters from sort of a female perspective and the type of situations and the way they might like the way they just might respond they might, you know, find their own journey through it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just appealing. I don't, it's, it's a good question. It's not something that I, I tend to think too much about. I just think that I'm, I'm just drawn to telling, I'm drawn to telling different stories about, um, you know, women who, um, you know, in a way that aren't really being told, you know, Mm -hmm. but to me, it's also like, I'm also not being too sort of, um, focused on it. I mean, I did a film called resignation, which like has zero females. I I just watched a, it's a short and I just watched it recently and it's, but it has, what a cool unexpected turn at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can get to that, but, uh, you know, that has, that has like no women in it. And that's like Mm -hmm. the first film I've ever done that has no, and and it just happened to be that there just wasn't a place for it, you Mm -hmm. know, um, in regards to that story. So it's not so much going like, it's not doing the thing where you're just trying to find a way to do it regardless of that. It really has to be organic to the story that you're telling, but I tend to find that I start there before Mm -hmm. anything else. And so, you know, I'm not, it's, I think it's really just about, 
it's trying to not be too behind the scenes of it and say, well, I just, you know, I, it's it's an underserved audience and they don't get to play the roles they want to play and all that stuff. Really, it does. It comes from very much an organic storytelling place of just saying, like, I'm just interested in, in, in seeing it from that perspective hmm. and seeing that adventure from that perspective, because I think that it just provides so many opportunities that we haven't seen yet as audiences. And, you know, just something it's something different than yeah. the standard fair that's out yeah yeah i love that and, and speaking of another earth which we mentioned not too long ago uh in the chat <clears throat> big fan of brit marling oh yeah and one of the reasons is that she just she came out here originally to la as an actor after i guess working on wall street or something and she basically was like i i was auditioning for movies but i was always going out as like you know the blonde girl in the bikini who runs a screaming from the guy with the chainsaw yeah. she's like and i was just so frustrated that that was all there was yeah and so she thought i'm gonna start writing roles for myself of smart intelligent powerful you know female leads yeah and I just, I just love that she took the reins like that and, and just started to tell stories from that perspective. Yeah, and exactly. And I think the lesson, you know, there's like a dozen things that you've said today where I'm like, oh, yeah, like we, as actors, we could really apply that to creating our own work. Right. Um, and stop being at the mercy of the yes or no's from other people all the time. Yeah. There was a funny, there was an article today I tweeted out, which was like seven signs that you're a woman in a Michael Bay movie. <laughs> um, that was pretty horrendous and true yeah, and it's yeah, that it's like yeah. you're you know running and screaming from destruction <laughs> right hey everyone welcome back hopefully you enjoyed part two of trev's chat with filmmaker josh caldwell I, for one, am ready to get off my butt and make it happen. <laughs> He's such a smart guy. No He's, excuses. No I just, excuses. I love the way he just thinks about his career. I mean, he said it in part one, but just the idea of approaching it as a career and making the career your story more than making the film your story. Mm-hmm. Um, that was mm-hmm. a little bit of a revelation for me. So Josh is awesome. Looking forward to part three, bringing you guys part three next week. Uh, what's your pick of the week, man? Awesome possum. My pick of the week is a uh, indie film that I got a chance to see recently um, at a sort of art house. What are they called? Art house film house? Sure. Is that what they called independent um, theater kind of deal. Yeah, here in here in New York, it's called Obvious Child. It, Obviously. It is- <laughs> Sorry, mouth, mouth, mouth. There goes Trevor's mouth. Um, <laughs> It is. It's tough. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give stuff away. But suffice to say, it is a really, really funny movie. It's very it, it, in in that independent film way. It does a great job of just being a brutally honest story where you can absolutely believe that not only did it happen, but that these people exist and that they are actually having these real problems and is it a documentary or it's not it's not it's just it's just really well done um it's about uh oh i read about this i read about this in filmmaker magazine i i'm not surprised i'm not surprised yeah. it, it's, it's just it's really well done um this this woman who's the 
lead in it, um, Jenny Slate, is going to be huge because she's really funny, really smart, really talented. Yeah, it, it, I cannot recommend it enough. Find out where it's playing near you and, and just go see it. That's all. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. Awesome. IMDb link is on our website. Uh, I'll see if I can find the trailer too and throw that up on the, uh, on the on our website as well, or a link to it at least. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's also I think they link to it on the IMDb page oh, as well. So they do. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see that. I'll have to add that to my list. Do it. <clears throat> What's your pick of the cool. week? Cool. My pick of the week is a book that I read by John Robbins, and may, many of you may know John Robbins. Um, for his work in the kind of, uh, not really animal rights, but just like the, the, the food sustainability sector, so to speak. He wrote Diet for a New America. He wrote The Food Revolution. He wrote Healthy at 100. A bunch of books that are really meticulously researched and beautifully written. He, he, he's got one of the biggest hearts I think I've ever, I've ever seen on a person or experienced on a person through his writing and through his speeches and whatnot and things that I've found from him online and on YouTube and stuff. But um, he is the son of the guy who founded Baskin Robbins of, um, I forget the guy's first name, but it was two guys that founded Baskin Robbins. They built an ice cream empire, uh, lots and lots of money there. And John basically walked away his father was trying to groom him to inherit the empire and he said i, I just i this doesn't re- I, I can't vibe with this this doesn't seem correct to me it doesn't doesn't agree with my internal sense of integrity so he walked away from all that and basically f- created his own sort of uh movement um by based based really aligned with his principles really essentially so just being good to the earth being good to other forms of life and this book, The New Good Life, is a little bit of a departure from his other work in that it doesn't focus exclusively on the food um, system and uh, agriculture and, and you know animal, um, what's the word I'm looking for, livestock production and things like that. He focuses in here on what it means to live a fulfilled life that is relatively free of excessive material possessions and consumption. And mm. it's, uh, it's a very comprehensive look at what he calls the new good life, which uh, contrasts the old good life. And he considers the old good life basically buying things to make yourself happy. And the new good life is making yourself happy first and then just kind of supplementing that happiness with the things that you need and and keeping an eye out for, you know, the sort of consumer culture that, that hypnotizes us and lulls us into excessive consumerism and whatnot. Anyway, that wasn't the best description in the world, but it's a it's a really cool book, and he covers basically the the whole spectrum of of uh, of not minimalism, but but of, of conscious living. And uh, I just I love his work. I think he's a real force for good in the world, and I highly recommend this book, The New Good Life by John Robbins. By the way, I got it from the library, so I read it for free. <laughs> I suggest awesome. you do too. Uh, sweet. We have a listener pick from Mark Vashro. He's a patron and an a increasingly long-time listener. Uh, several weeks ago, he submitted uh, Getting Things Done, the book Getting Things Done by David Allen. And we've talked about this book many a time on the show, um, but it's never a bad time to bring it up again. It's a great philosophy on how to, what do you know, get things done in your life. So highly recommend that, Getting Things Done by David Allen. The book is great. It's a little intellectual. So I recommend checking out the website, too, for sort of chunked down, more easily digestible nuggets and videos and things like that. So we'll have a link to both the book uh, and the website on our 
website on our website. That is more or less it. I mean, we have a, yeah. a, a patron of the week we wanted to acknowledge. Yeah, the pa- our patron of the week this week is Sarah uh, Albonizi. I hope I'm saying that right. And Sarah, uh, like many uh, of our patrons, we don't have your info, my darling. So please uh, send it on over so that we can put your headshot and uh, a little bio blurb on our patron page. Yes. On people, our website. People need to know who you are and what you're up to. Because uh, we definitely want to know. And we thank you very much from the bottom of our hearts for sustaining uh, the podcast financially with your recurring monthly contributions. Uh, <laughs> awesome. All right. I think that about does it then. So uh, I know you've got a jet. I've got a jet. So everybody listening, you guys know how to get in touch with us, support us. Uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook. We've got a voicemail. We've got an email. Hit up our website to... to figure all that stuff out we love love hearing from people um so on that note for our production coordinator jen levin for cesar gamino our technical producer gadali guberic who is our marketing and web director and our newest team member and patron deborah smith who's doing some really cool stuff for us uh for all of them my name is trevor algott and i'm aj meyer we'll see you next week and in the meantime there goes trevor's mouth This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your character and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com download.